Today we're beginning a new series of messages called The Fruit of the Spirit. And it's focused on a passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And here's basically what we're going to be learning together. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, the Bible tells us what we, in our own strength, can do for ourselves. What our life will produce if we don't give it to God and entrust it to Him. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so the point of that is, and it's going to be contrasted here with something else in just a moment, but the point of that is for us to look at it and say, before we give our lives to God, this is pretty much what we can expect. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? But then the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, in contrast to what I can do in my own effort and the, and the terrible destruction that that brings upon our lives, Galatians 5, verse 22 tells us, here's the kind of things that God could do if you gave your life to Him. In verse 22 it says, But in contrast to what I would do, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, are those the only things that God would do in our lives? Well, of course not. They're either a representative list of many things that God would do, or maybe the Bible's telling us that they're the main things, the biggest things, the most important things that God would do. And tonight, we're going to talk about the first one. And as we'll see, I do believe that it's listed first for a reason. The fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you and share with you that it's going to take us two messages to talk about this particular fruit. Because you'll see, as we look at the passage, we're going to study together tonight, and really, throughout God's Word, it's made very clear that God's whole message, don't miss this, God's whole message to us can be summarized, if we were just going to give it one word, by the word, love. Love for God and love for others is really God's message to us. Love truly is the greatest thing of all in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So actually, instead of spending one message or two messages talking about love, we could actually spend a whole series talking about love. And really, we could spend the whole rest of our lives talking about it and learning about it. But for the purpose of this series, we're going to give it a little more spotlight than the other fruits. Now, when we're talking about love, many times in our culture, we're all mixed up about what the idea of love is all about. And, and you know what? Sometimes adults want to lay that all on young people. Hey, these young people don't get it when it's, when it's, uh, when, when, and don't understand what love's about. Well, 
there's a lot of adults in this room who used to be young people and still have a lot to learn, amen? We've all got a lot to learn when it comes to what love is really all about. So I want to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get started. When we usually talk about love, and I don't know if we realize this, we're usually talking about what someone does for us or what someone does to us. I love you because you complete me. I love you because you fulfill me, or you excite me, or you challenge me, or you help me, or you work for me. In some kind of way, what we say many times when we're talking about I love somebody, we're saying, I'm really into you, right? When we say we love somebody, that's what we're saying. And I need to share with us from the get-go that we need to change our thinking in that way. That kind of thinking is not biblical, it's cultural. And we need to realize tonight that God's Word, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that God wants us to be transformed. Our mind, our thinking, our mindset. Because we have grown up in a culture that has taught us one thing. And have you found many times when you come to church or when you come to God's Word as you're studying it, have you found many times that what I thought, what I'd always believed, what I'd always followed isn't the way God would do things? And we're going to learn that about love. So we need to let God renew and transform our minds with His way. So what does love mean? Well, in English, we really use one word to express a lot of things. I love you. I love spring. I love ice cream. I love my dog. Oh, I love that outfit. I love the dessert that you made last week. We use love for a lot of things, don't we? And again, notice that all of those are things that I'm expressing that I what? I like. Those are things that I'm really into, that that make me happy, that make me feel good. Those are things that I'm interested in. And many times when we're using love in our culture, it has sexual connotations. If you just look around and just notice, isn't it amazing how many messages we are bombarded with constantly related to sexual themes. Now, different than English, though, their Greek language had several, and and by the way, maybe you're kind of new to the Bible, uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and it's been translated into many other languages, because I don't read Greek, amen? I mean, I, I can't sit down and just read straight through it. I can understand some aspects of it, but most of us can't sit down and read Greek and get blessed by it. So thank God that it's been translated by other people. But in the Greek language in which the Bible was written, there were several words that they used to show different nuances of love. One of those was eros. That's where we get our word erotic. It meant uh, romantic love or, or the kind of love, physical kind of love. That's, again, that's the kind that we're usually talking about when we talk about love. The other was a word called storge. It was the kind of love that you would have for a family member or somebody that was in your family. The other was phileo. That was the kind of love that you might say that I have for my best friend. I've got phileo love for somebody that really is very special to me. Then the other word is the word agape. Now, in New Testament times, actually, agape, my understanding is, was the least used and the most generic word for love. But listen, God took it 
and made it His Word. Isn't that kind of cool? God took it and used it in His Word to describe for us His kind of love. And so you may say, well, I've heard about this agape love kind of thing. What's that talking about? Well, agape love, what God did is He took that Word and He baptized it. He Christianized it. He took it and He made it His own. And as He described for us His love in His Word, that's the Word that God used. It's God's kind of love. It's unconditional love. It's steadfast love. It's committed to you no matter what kind of love. It's sacrificial love. It's wanting what's best for you love. It's more of an action love that's shown in behavior, not just some abstract romantic idea or feeling. Now, I do want to say this. There are some Christians who have almost taken all of the feeling out of love because it is focused on action and behavior. It's not devoid of feelings. But it's much stronger than feelings. In fact, agape love can even exist sometimes when feelings do not. In fact, I think that might be one of its greatest qualities. Amen? Sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I don't like it. But I choose to place my love and my commitment unconditionally upon another. Isn't that amazing? It's based on a choice that I make to give it to that other person. And it's not based on the performance of the individual that receives it. It's this kind of love. Does that give you a little better picture? It's this kind of love, agape love, that is described for us in great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And those are the verses that we're going to focus on together tonight. Because God says... This kind of love is what, listen, this is our focus in this series. If God is working in my life, I ought to see some of what we're going to talk about tonight begin doing what? Coming out of Robbie's life. And first of all, the Bible teaches us this. Write this down. First of all, love is vital, it is critical. It is absolutely necessary. Look at the 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1-3. through It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Basically, the Bible says there in verse 1, I could be the most eloquent speaker in the world. By the way, it says there, I could speak with the tongues, or I think it's better translated there because people want to use that word tongues and make it something that, that I believe the Bible's not wanting to make it. Really, probably a better translation there is languages. Okay? I could speak with the languages of angels. And by the way, that doesn't mean some heavenly language that we're to seek. In fact, that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And many Christians today mistakenly take that same approach. Now listen, it's not some heavenly language that God's wanting us to escape this world and find that as some secret that we're supposed to find as Christians. 
Now listen, angels always spoke the language of humans. Don't forget, what are angels? What's the word angel mean? It's a messenger. What good would a messenger be if he spoke some language? I can't understand, amen? But, would we say that they're pretty good messengers? Would we say that angels are probably as articulate or more so than I am? They are heavenly messengers. They are God-sent messengers. They are very effective, to say the least. So listen, what the Bible's saying, let's don't make more out of this than what God's trying to make. It, It just basically means this. If I could be the best speaker in the universe, but I did not have love, you know what it's like? It's like I'm trying to tell you, I really love you, and you mean a lot to me, and you're you're like, please, stop that. That's obnoxious. Amen? It was obnoxious. It hurt my ear. I was closer than you guys. All right? But the Bible says that it, I could say the greatest things, but if I don't love, it's just a bunch of what? Just a bunch of noise. He said in verse 2, I could have a great understanding of... really, And, and notice, he makes it very uh, comprehensive here. He says, uh, if I have the gift of prophecy and know what kind of mysteries? All mysteries and all knowledge. If I could have a great understanding of all that God has revealed in a way that just baffles other people. They can say, wow, how do you do that? How do you understand God's Word so well? It says, I could be a person so full of what kind of faith? All faith. I mean, I just had complete faith that nothing was too big for me to trust God for. He said, faith that would move a mountain. And that was a Jewish way of saying basically what? Faith that God could do the impossible. I could be a person who even was willing, this is striking, isn't it? I was willing to give up all my possessions to feed the poor. If I sold my house tonight and sent the proceeds to another state that just experienced that devastation. If I did that, or if I surrendered my body as a martyr to be burned during the times of persecution that they faced, it's that I could do all those amazing things. Isn't that dramatic? In other words, I could be extremely gifted, even spiritually gifted, but if I do not have this quality that we're talking about tonight, it would all be a noisy, empty waste. By the way, the Corinthians were clearly a very gifted church, but they were clearly not a very spiritually mature church. Maturity, listen, because many Christians get kind of sideways on this, maturity is not defined by giftedness. Maturity is defined by fruit. And one of the biggest fruits that would come out of a mature follower of Christ is this thing called love. And by the way, for us as a church family, a church expressing gifts without love and being corrected for that speaks to us, doesn't it? Doesn't, isn't that a challenge and a warning to us? That be careful that love for God and others is what rules supreme at New Hope. Amen? Not being gifted. 
Not having good speakers or good singers or being noticed by other people or anything else. The Bible says that what ought to be the tops around here is that it's just clear. Those people love God and they love others. Amen? Then the Bible says in uh, verse, uh, the first part of verse 4, though, it says love is patient. That word patient means long-suffering. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on that tonight because we're going to spend a whole message on that later in the series. But the Bible says that if you are a loving person, you're going to be a patient person. You're going to, you're going to experience long-suffering in your life. Then it says uh, right after that, love is kind. Now again, same thing. I'm not going to spend much time on that tonight because we're going to spend a whole message on that later in the series. But the Bible says that love is kind to other people. Can we use a lot more kindness in this world? Amen. But then number four, it says in verse four, love is not jealous. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it is not jealous. Now actually... You might think that word jealous is a totally bad thing. But the word that's used here is a word that's used in the Bible and it's not always used in a bad way. The word that's used here means zealous or it means passionate about something. But many times when it's used in a bad way, it's talking about someone who's zealous or passionate about the wrong thing. Okay, so actually sometimes God in the Bible is spoken of as being a jealous God. He's a very passionate. Aren't you glad that God is passionate about us? Amen. And when we get very far away from him, he's passionate. That matters to him. I'm glad for that. But many times it has the direction of when we're passionate about the wrong thing in our lives. In other words, we have envy. We have jealousy of other people, which is not a good thing. What this is talking about is wrongly desiring what is not supposed to be ours. Or not wanting someone else to have what they have. Again, in this context, obviously, that's what it's talking about. That negative, that negative aspect. Now, there are many examples of jealousy in the Bible. You've ever read the story in the book of Genesis. From the very, very beginning, a couple of the first people that ever lived on this earth, one was jealous of the other, Cain was jealous of his, who? Of his brother Abel. Because Abel brought an act of worship and sacrifice to the Lord that God accepted. And Cain was jealous about that. And as a result of that, Cain did what? Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. And just a few chapters after that, there's a guy named Joseph. And some people mistake this. This is not the Joseph of the New Testament, the, the, the stepfather of Jesus. It's not talking about uh, that Joseph. Who he's talking about is, uh, is uh, one of the sons of Jacob, of Israel. And this guy Joseph, he had these brothers, and his brothers were jealous of him. And as a result of that, they sold their brother into slavery. Imagine tonight... Selling a member of your family into slavery. That is how dangerous jealousy can be. It brings hatred. It brings resentment. It brings even conniving to get something that is not ours. Instead of being glad for someone. Glad that they have what they have. Celebrating that with them. Instead of that, we focus on the fact that we don't have it and either that kind of eats us up on the inside or we express it externally and try to get it at all costs.
Now, all of that sounds so bad, and as I do, we probably all dismiss ourselves. Well, I would never kill my brother because he brought a better you know, offering than me. Or I would never, just because I was jealous of my brother, I would never sell him into slavery. But tonight, if we're honest, have you ever been, yeah, like Thursday? Amen? Have you ever looked at what someone else had and wished you had it? Uh-oh. That's me, amen? I mean, seriously. Like last week. Like probably, if I really got to thinking about it, like 9-12 this morning. The Bible says that love, God working in me, would not do that. Do you hear that? So that needs to bother me, doesn't it? If, if God working in me would not produce that, then I need to recognize the danger in that and not desire that anymore. Amen? I need to say, God, when that comes up, because I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of seems a little bit not so bad, right? I look across the yard, I look across town, I look at somebody else's life, whatever it might be, and I just say, I wish I had what they had. That doesn't seem so bad. But when I read how dangerous it is in God's Word and how opposed it is to what God would do in me, it makes me think more seriously about it. And when that begins to bubble up in my heart, I say, God, even though that doesn't seem such a big deal to me, apparently it's not very good. So Lord, would you please help me with that attitude? Amen. Number five, love is not boastful. Actually, in the New American Standard Version that I'm reading out of, it says love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous. And here it says love does not brag. Have you ever been in a family get-together? Or maybe a work picnic or, please Lord, don't, it be, don't let it be, but a New Hope growth group? Hopefully not. But have you ever been at a gathering with someone else and someone goes on and on about himself? Or his family. There's someone that's so impressed about their life and they're trying to convince you to be impressed too. Maybe it's how successful they are in their business or maybe it's how their kids are good in school or their kids are doing are good in sports. God's Word says if He's working in your life, I would not be comfortable boasting and bragging about myself. I would not want to put myself on display for other people to see. Now listen, I want to... I want to clarify what we're talking about here. This isn't talking about that, okay, I don't want that to happen, so I'm going to kind of express a false humility where I really want people to be impressed with me, but I'm going to pretend like I don't, okay? See, Christians have these really creative ways of doing that, don't we? We know what God's Word says, and so we find ways around getting what we wanted to in the first place. That's not what this is encouraging us to do. This also doesn't mean, though, on a positive side. I mean, so what are you saying, Pastor Robbie? We can never share blessings. We can never share victories in our life. You know, I've known Christians who've kind of taken it that way. There was this pastor that I, that I knew one time, and, and uh, every time that we would uh, communicate with each other, um, you know, I would ask him what was going on in his life and try to find out about, you know, his ministry and everything. And he, he would I'm fine, how are you? And then just want to talk about me. And I'm just like... What, you not like me or something? You know, 
I want to know about your life. I want to know about your ministry. But he had taken it to such an extent that he was like he could never, ever talk about anything that was personally related to him. And do you think that sounds like God? Does that sound like our God? No, fellowship means we share life together, right? So that's not what God's talking about here. But listen, what it would say is this. If God is working in me, then I would want to share my life with other people. But when I do share, I get very nervous about that going too far towards me. Does that make sense? And my primary concern... Now listen, the reason we're studying this tonight is I don't work like this. Amen? I naturally, I like me. I like everything about me. And I just, I, just, I just think the world revolves around me. And y'all think, well, you're just such a sinner. Well, guess what? I'm rubber, your glue, bounce off me and back to you. Okay? You guys are too. All of us, the world revolves around me, right? We are just wired that way and we can't help it on our own. So tonight, what I need to do is recognize the next time I'm in a conversation and I'm sharing, hey, you know what? To the extent that I'm sharing life with someone else, praise God for that. But I need to check myself and make sure that I'm not becoming a braggart, okay? That I'm not, I'm not going in that direction. And really, my primary concern in this conversation is I would really like to get to know more about you. That would be my focus. And as you're sharing, I wouldn't show a dismissive or unimpressed attitude. Or I wouldn't, yeah, yeah, hurry. You ever talk to somebody and yeah, yeah, hurry? They want you to finish because they got more they want to share with you about their life. They really want to get back to themselves. Okay? Now you might be here tonight and say, I, I know I'm like that. I like to talk, I like to share. Listen, that may be how you lean, that may be how you're wired, but you can say tonight, Lord, I recognize that, I don't like that, and I need you to help me with it. Amen? Love, God working in us, would not do that. Now, I do want to challenge you to be careful tonight. If this were you, are you listening? You probably wouldn't notice it. So don't be so quick to dismiss it. Amen? Let God examine our hearts tonight. So love. Love is not boastful. But then number six, love is not arrogant. Obviously, this is certainly close, uh, close to what we just talked about. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. The Greek word is actually, this used for this word arrogant, is an onomatopoeia. Anybody know what that is? That's my impression for the night word. Okay, onomatopoeia, you know what that is? It means that the word sounds like what it's describing. Okay, so the Greek word is pronounced phusiao. Okay? Sounds like what? Okay? Say, Pastor Robbie, what are you taking like, you know, um, learning classes or something like that? Yeah, I'm taking, uh, what do you call it? Pronunciation classes? Well, Prozac too. Alright, but anyway. (laughs) An onomatopoeia is is the word is when you say the word, it reminds you of the thing you're talking about. So, fusio. (laughs) 
The word for bragging in the Bible is puffed up. A lot of hot air. That's gross. That's exactly what the Bible says. Now listen, the reason I share that with you tonight is because again, I don't speak Greek and you don't either. So when I use my word in English, I don't get the full effect of that. So let's just take it and let's just put it with pride. I can say, pride. So the next time you start feeling pride, then you can just remember that you're starting to live a puffed up. Look, I can't even say it without doing what? Poking my chest out. That's exactly what the Bible says. That's exactly what we're doing. I heard it said somewhere years ago, and I think about it often, when I think, when I am beginning to think that I'm something, I need to remember that pride might be the original sin. Write down Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. That's what Satan did. He had pride in his heart. And it might be the root of all sin. Pride. Thinking that I am above God and not living His other person focus with my life. Now listen. So when I am a proud person, I am the most unlike God that I could possibly be. Wow. Whether that's what we just talked about, an outwardly showy person, or maybe even worse sometimes, an inwardly condescending person. It's more subtle, isn't it? Maybe you don't show it like that bragging person, but on the inside, maybe you have pride. Love for God, love for others, it does not do that. And by the way, I think this is why many of us who call ourselves Christians might be in trouble but we don't realize it. Please listen to me. Many people across this nation claim to know God and have a personal relationship with Him, but there is a lot of pride in our hearts. And something is not matching up. Amen? Because the Bible says the fruit of God working in my heart the love of God working in my heart would not allow that to continue. It's hard to love God and to serve others like He's called us to do with our nose up in the air in pride. And if you just now did not appreciate that statement, it might be your problem. Maybe you struggle with pride. Number seven, love is not appropriate. Inappropriate. It actually says in the New American Standard that I was reading out of, love does not act unbecomingly. Now, this comes from a few words that are combined together to basically mean to not have fashion. Okay, so we got some fashion experts here tonight. Anybody here a fashion expert? Okay, do you ever look around and see people and you're kind of like, whoa, that's interesting. (laughs) Now, Resist the urge right now to look. (laughs) Anywhere but straight ahead. Because I can take it. (laughs) 
Do you ever think to you, okay, that doesn't go together. Okay, this is how you should fit things together, but you did something different. Okay? Now that's actually sort of the idea with this word of what love does not do, but it's in a much more serious and dangerous way. In the same way that fashion has some generally accepted guidelines, there are some generally accepted ways that we should deal with other people. Okay? This is very important for us as believers. According to God's Word, love is not inappropriate. Love is not obnoxious. Love is not rude. Love is not overbearing. It's not pushy with other people. Love would not seek to put someone else on the spot or to embarrass that person in front of other people. Love would not want to make someone feel uncomfortable. Love wouldn't do that. Love would think about what I say. Love would think about how I act, how I present myself around other people. Love would desire not to be improper, indecent, or inappropriate. Now that pretty much sounds like the opposite of what our world around us tells us. If you are a young person here tonight, you especially are constantly being bombarded with the opposite viewpoint. Our culture tells us over and over again that anything goes. There are no boundaries. There are no limits that we can and we should do anything we want no matter where we are or who we're with. And again, this is especially true in the area of sexuality. Where there's crude language, whether it's little clothing, those are just a few of the things that the world encourages us to do. Also, every type of sexual activity except everything except a husband and a wife committed for life is celebrated and promoted and pushed. I mean, really just in your face. That's the opposite of what's being expressed here. Love doesn't do that. Now, don't misunderstand what's being said here. Listen, there might be somebody here that says, well, what are you saying? Are all of us supposed to fit into like a certain mold? No, that's not what is being said here. God has created each one of us distinctly and uniquely as an individual, and He wants us to live to be the person that He's created for us to be. And by the way, God's people, don't let anybody tell you that God's people, now there are some people that are kind of just not very nice and they call themselves Christians, okay? But listen, God's people historically have been the people to push the limits of exploring and creativity, of discovering things, of breakthroughs, of art. In other words, what many Christians have understood is it's a great big world that God's created. Let's do our best to expand our understanding of what God has given to us. Amen? But what is being warned against here is doing things in a way to draw attention to self and especially in a way that seeks to hurt or mock others. Love is not inappropriate. It is not indecent. It would not do that. And the more that God works in my life, the more uncomfortable I have to be with that. 
There may be somebody here tonight and you say, you know what? I'm trying to understand this stuff. God's working in my heart. I'm trying to learn. I've got to be honest with you, Pastor Robbie. I, I'm doing some of this. I tell some of those jokes or, or I put my spouse on the spot sometimes. And you know what? I was beginning to notice that that just doesn't feel so good anymore. Amen? That's actually a good sign. It shouldn't feel good because it's not what God would do. And He's saying, let's go a different direction. Now, we're going to have to stop right there for this time. Having shared all of that about love, I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, God is all of that <laughs> that we just described. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 twice that God is love. It's of His very essence. It's of His very nature. All the good things that we've just described describe our great God. Are you even more impressed with Him than when you came in? I hope so. Wow, God. He's a gentleman. He's kind. He's gracious. He's good. He's helpful. He's encouraging. All these things. Praise His name. Amen? Tonight, I wonder, you know, as, as we were going through it, I was just thinking to myself, this standard, is this, am I supposed to measure up to this? Because if I am, I don't make it. How about you? Friends, you know what? Here's what the Bible says God wants us to understand. God's not trying to shame us. He's not trying to guilt us. He's not trying to condemn us. He's trying to say to us, I want you to understand your true condition so that you can have better. And so tonight as we stand before His standard, we say, oh my goodness, I didn't think I was that in that bad of a shape. I mean, I know there's sinners like Hitler and you know, really bad people. and you know, I know there's people like that, but I never saw myself as really a sinner. But tonight, if this is the standard, man, I like five minutes before the service... I was blowing it. Amen. Tonight, would you just not take that in shame and guilt and condemnation, but just take it as the truth, the realization that tonight, you know, I, I really do need God to forgive me. I have not been the son or the sister or the spouse or the coworker or the friend that I need to be. I have not shown God working through my life and I need Him to forgive me for that tonight. Would you come to Him and say, Dear Jesus, please, I need You. We talked about he, the Savior has come. Salvation is here. It's because we need a Savior tonight. Would you say, Jesus, I thank You that I didn't even know. Before I even knew that I needed You, You were dying on that cross. Isn't that good news? Before you even knew you needed Him, He did it for you. And he rose again showing that what would have destroyed me and you, He defeated once and for all, forever. That's hallelujah shouting ground, amen? I'd just about do a jump off this thing and kick my heels together. I said just about. <laughs> we ought to be fired up about God's amazing love for us. Would you receive that tonight? Maybe you're a follower of His tonight. And you're just like me as I'm studying this stuff, just shaking my head. I don't want to go on to the next one, amen? I mean, the first one, two, three, 
God help me. I've got so far to go. But I thank you, Lord, that I'm safe in your arms. That you met the standard and you gave me credit for the standard. Thank you, Lord. Amen. But tonight I want to live for you. And maybe tonight God has shined the light on an aspect of your life. You know what? Don't try to take it all in tonight. But just what is the key thing tonight that he's saying to you? Here's something you know. You've been out of line on this. Or this is not in step with my spirit. And tonight you would just say, God, please cleanse me of that. I want to see that change. And God, you know I can't change it on my own. But with your help, I want to see that change. Would you ask him to do that tonight? Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word that is so powerful and is able to show us things that we did not realize about our lives. I thank you that it reveals to us who you are because I would not have found you. I would not have figured all this out on my own. But Lord, tonight I thank you for showing it to us and I pray that we would not let it go wasted. We would respond to whatever you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen.